The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Smallville Gazette, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. Poppy Chula Radio celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Wednesday, June 2nd, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's Superman and Lois. Please welcome my co-hosts, Professor X. Hello, Smallville. And Millie Wood. Hello, Smallville. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 8, which was titled Holding the Wrench and aired June 1st, 2021. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Clark encourages Lois to reach out for help after noticing her reaching a breaking point. Meanwhile, Jonathan finds himself in a dangerous situation. Kyle encourages Sarah to audition for the musical review at school. Okay, we're actually going to start off talking about Kyle. I mean, there was a whole lot of whole lot of that happened in the A storyline, which was adjacent to the B storyline. There's a lot that we're going to unpack there. So let's start off uh, on a teeny tiny little island, which is the Cushing Island. And uh, I want to start off with Kyle. His storyline is uh, attached to Sarah's, but we do get an interesting, um, an interesting bit of information with Kyle from his POV. So, yes, the storyline is about Kyle and Sarah sort of bonding, and, and he's trying to get her sort of out of her shell by um, auditioning for this musical at the school. We even see them working on the song together, and he's going to show up. But he doesn't. And the reason he doesn't show up is... So, even before that, there's a brief discussion at the house between Kyle and Lana about the candidates. The, these candidates that she was looking for for her job um, with uh, Morgan Edge. And uh, Kyle sort of slips in a little line. It's like, oh, it's a shame, you know, there aren't any open spots. You know, you know I'm down for it. I would love to be a candidate. Pick me, pick me, candidate me. So later on, when he goes to the office to show Lana a video of him and uh, Sarah uh, performing together, he finds out from Leslie Lar, dun dun dun, that she's like, oh, it's a shame, you know, you couldn't be a candidate, Edge really wanted you, this, that, or the other, which leads to a heated confrontation between Kyle and Lana, where he's like, so I couldn't, I could have been a candidate, but you said no, and Lana tries her best to um, cool Kyle down, but based off of the fact that he drinks and drinks and drinks and drinks um, later on, and that's why he misses Sarah's audition, it seems as if uh, whatever Lana was trying to do to uh, simmer down the situation didn't really work. So let's talk about this, because I think we all feel like Kyle was headed down the yellow brick road of powers, you know, at some point. And based off of this, I, I feel like that storyline is going to come to a head very soon. Right, Professor? I don't know. Um, I don't know whether it's going to come to a head um, or whether it's uh, it's going to be something uh, brewing along uh, in the back. I'm more curious about, you know, what Leslie Lar was playing at, you know, like what incentive she had to to do that. It seemed to be, you know, just sort of, you know, like behaving like a, a CW TV bitch for no apparent reason, uh, you know, then he did have that that moment, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, 
So where we had the scene where, um, you know, so he has let his daughter down, uh, you know, because, you know, he obviously, you know, was frustrated, went on a bit of a bender. But what did he do after that? He's throwing out all of his booze, uh, you know, because he realizes he's made a mistake. So, again, I do like the fact that they're giving him that level of complexity. Um, I think, yes, it, it seems very likely that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get him getting power somewhere down the line. But I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Interesting points. Uh, I do like that they are, they are shading Kyle a lot. Like he isn't just, it isn't black and white with Kyle. Like there's a whole lot of nuance there, which is interesting. Um, he does come off as a bit abrasive and, and acerbic. So his personality is, is a lot, but they are shading him in, in an interesting way, which um, I, I do like. Uh, I, I do wonder about the Leslie situation, because Millie, it, the, based off of what I remember about the conversation that Lana had with Edge, I mean, she sort of tried to say, you know, oh, I, I don't know if Kyle would be right because, you know, I've taken on this job, I'm working all these extra hours, he's a firefighter, you know, it'd be nice for him to be at home with the kids. So she painted it in a way that was understandable, and it didn't really seem like, you know, it it, it didn't seem as big of a damn deal as Leslie Lar made it, because Leslie Lar made it sound like, Oh, Kyle specifically said no when we heard the conversation and, and we witnessed the conversation that Lana had with Edge about the situation. So what did you think of, of Leslie's, um, yeah, what did you think of just Leslie and, and why she had to get involved in it? And what did you think of Kyle's reaction to it? I think she's definitely up to no good. And I don't know if it's under kind of Edge's direction or maybe she's going a little bit rogue. But I think she was trying to stir the pot between um, Lana and Kyle even more. I mean, it's already, we already know it's kind of rocky, but I think there was more just to add fuel to the fire kind of thing to get him fully over. Because um, it's interesting that the Edge didn't choose Kyle for that fifth position. So I feel like he has something else in mind for him, um, part of the program, but maybe it's some kind of other aspect of it. And I think they need to create that divide between the two even more and maybe isolate Kyle. I think that was part of this as well, was seeing him become isolated to further maybe justify why he's going to go down this this path of following whatever Edge or Leslie Lard has him going under. Because uh, I thought it was interesting that they... I feel like it's been very rough, so it was interesting that they kind of showed him making an effort with Sarah. And then, of course, he, like, backed out on it. But um, I thought that they are trying to create those layers and, I think, make us feel for him so that when he does turn, it's a bit more empathetic on that. So I think uh, he's going to be, like, a key piece. And maybe Leslie Lard's really running the show. But it was interesting, uh, her her kind of magicking in the situation. Yeah, you made a really good point because Edge could have picked Kyle as the fifth candidate. But he didn't. He picked Lana's friend. I think her name was Emily. Uh, so he could have picked Kyle, but he didn't. So that's an interesting point. I'm glad you brought that up, Millie. Yeah, so uh, we'll have to stay tuned and see where this storyline is going. I do think Kyle will get powers, and I think he's going to get him sooner rather than later. I, I think whatever... You know, whatever this interaction was supposed to, whatever the outcome of this interaction was supposed to be, I think is that he's going to be hell bent on trying to prove himself to Edge, and and he might even approach him and be like, hey, you know, um, I, I changed my mind. I would love to be a candidate, and Edge might be like, oh, well, we already have, we already have five people, but I have this other thing that I think you might be good for. Can I just um, follow yes. up on what uh, Millie was saying in terms of, you know, what uh, uh, Leslie Lars' uh, motivation is? You know, there was that little, you know, just sort of a, a tossed away line in here in which, you know, the the ex-Kryptonite apparently contains the consciousness of Kryptonians. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
So it's not just that Leslie Lars wandering around with, with Superman powers. Does that mean she's an actual Kryptonian? Uh, could it be that, uh, you know, um, you know, that Edge doesn't realize this? Because, you know, that might give some nuance to how she's playing the character. Because uh, you know, I mentioned last time that, you know, Edge should be careful about how he uh, he treats the superpowered underlings because, you know, they might take umbrage. But if she is playing it to a broader, you know, restoring the Kryptonians uh, sense. But, yeah, it just seemed to me like that whole thing about, you know, consciousness that must have happened between last week and this week or off camera. Cause I certainly don't remember that happening in this show. Yeah. That's a really good point, professor. Uh, I mean, we sh- we can talk about it now if you want to, like we had the idea that something was off with these individuals that were getting the ex kryptonite a couple weeks back when we had the, um, it was, it was the, the missing man and, and we saw him and he had that interesting conversation with Superman, and uh, I don't think Millie was a part of the podcast then, but uh, I know, Professor, you and I, we discussed it, and we were like, what does that mean? You know, are they somehow being possessed by these Kryptonians in some way? And then this week, we finally get confirmation that it, it seems as if they're gaining the consciousness somehow of these Kryptonians as the powers are being transferred from the the X kryptonite now we haven't seen leslie lar channel that yet at least you know it hasn't happened uh, that that we know sort of overtly you know she hasn't um spoken in sort of like that uh, very sort of like official way that um these uh, ex kryptonite uh juiced people sort of speak when they're you know speaking as if they're kryptonians so I, I do wonder if that's going to end up happening. Uh, Millie, do you have anything to add in regards to that? What, what's your take on uh, the fact that these, uh, you know, uh, ex-kryptonite roided humans uh, might be possessed or might have the consciousnesses of um, Kryptonians? Yeah, I agree. I think that makes sense, especially with the comments that were coming from um, like I like John Henry Irons saying like you're amongst keeps hinting like there's a lot of Kryptonians on Earth. So I wonder if that plays into it as well. Um, and it's like, because these people have been created and basically become Kryptonians, and that's maybe that's the whole thing that happened on his Earth. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, because we did see, in particular, with the gentleman that was, pos- well, I don't want to call it possessed, but the gentleman that has the ex-Kryptonite in this episode, we did see him... Um, it was almost like, you know, those possessed horror movies, you know, where they, you know, they, their body sort of like vibrates at a, at a fast speed. And, uh, I wonder if some of that is the, is like an effect of the, for lack of a better word, the possession. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Um, we saw tag experience that as well. And I think we sort of interpreted it as the fact that he doesn't know his powers and that's just his body sort of reacting to these new powers. But I wonder if that was sort of a bit of like a foreshadowing of what we were going to see with just these ex-kryptonite-juiced humans. And, and the fact that they are being possessed, mind-controlled, they're now being inhabited by these Kryptonians. I guess we'll have to wait and see. And it looks like not all Kryptonians are friendlies, because these people clearly have um, issues. So let's talk about the other side of the coin with the Cushings. Let's talk about Sarah. So her storyline was very personal because it really talked about her and, and, and her anxiety and, um, and and that sort of thing. It was her, you know, it, we, we learned a little bit about her past. Uh, apparently she, um, you know, was a part of uh, musicals and that sort of things, like as a kid. And she does sing in the choir, but she doesn't like to sing solo because of, you know, just anxiety and fear and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, there was a moment of bonding between her and her father, but then he doesn't show up at the um the actual audition and uh jordan is there and is able to lend a hand well two hands you know tickling the ivories and and she does uh, actually do the audition when she gets home she sees that he had been drinking and um she's basically like you know just don't make promises to me because you know it's the hope 
it's it's you know the feeling of hope it's it's these promises that you don't fulfill that hurt the most millie talk to me about sarah this episode i was shocked i don't know why i was like anticipating the worst when she started singing but i was very impressed with the voice. I don't know if it was like the actual actress, but I was like, okay, that was nice. Um, but I thought it was an interesting, uh, I, I like the story we get, get more insight in her bonding with Jordan. Um, I think that's a cute little friendship that's growing there. And um, she, they've really hinted at she's troubled and she's had an interesting past in her young age. And so I like how we kind of kind of see that and how rough her relationship with her dad is and how that kind of all played out. Um, so it was definitely a nice, kind of break from all the other action in like terms of a nice B storyline. Okay. I, I do agree with you on that. And I loved um, anything with, with Sarah and Jordan together. They're adorable. Even though sometimes Jordan can be a whole lot, but when they're together, they, they just click. I, I like their friendship, even though he's been friend zoned. Um, their little friendship and whatever, you know, him with the flowers and that sort of thing is uh, hella, hella adorbs. Okay, so let's start venturing into the A and the B storylines. And um, the first thing that I want to discuss in this storyline is uh, Lois Lane and uh, the therapist, the friend of her father that she goes and talks to. Like, we, we see sort of like two glimpses of her therapy session before we really understand what's going on because she's talking about how she lashed out to someone and how, you know, she, um, you know, she feels like she can, she can't come back from that and how the person didn't really deserve to be lashed out at. And I was wondering who is she talking about? You know, is she talking about, uh, Clark? Is she talking about, uh, Mr. Irons? Uh, but it turns out that she was talking about, uh, Jonathan because he does something that was incredibly dumb. Uh, but we learned the reason why she lashed out, and it was because, A, she hasn't fully healed from the miscarriage that she had many, many years ago. And, B, she blames herself for the miscarriage, and, and she she was going to blame herself for the situation that Jonathan put himself in. Um, and so, you know, just the fear of losing another child was something that caused her to lash out at Jonathan. Professor, talk to me about uh, Lois Lane and the therapy session. What did you think of it? Uh, yeah, if you want to go into her and, and what she said to Jonathan as well, we can talk about that as well right now. What would you think of it, Professor? Uh, before we get into that, I just wanted to uh, have a brief address to the showrunners of Superman and Lois. Uh, you have the twins. Uh, Jonathan and Jordan. And so the actor who plays Jonathan is named Jordan in real life. For heaven's yeah. sakes, why didn't they just switch the names? It's like they weren't even thinking about show recappers when they designed this. Oh, honestly. I know, right? Um, it's funny, uh, you know, because we had that great sort of, you know, opening in media res on uh, Lois in the, the therapy. It's funny how, you know, therapy has become such a trope on television that, you know, you can immediately tell just from Lois sitting in the chair that it was a therapy situation. Um, I had figured out that it was Jonathan that she blew up at, um, uh, you know, uh, yeah, just then the way they were sort of like not revealing who it was for the longest time, I was just absolutely convinced uh, that it was going to be Jonathan. I think it was, you know, really interestingly done. Uh, you know, I, I love the uh, the payoff at the end of the, uh, oh, the uh, the title, Holding the Wrench, you know, because, you know, nice little callback to that sense of powerlessness, you know, and, you know, who better than Lois would understand what Jonathan's going through. Um, I think it was a very understandable reaction for her to have that, you know, and, and, you know, again, uh, Bitsy Tulloch plays, you know, Lois Lane uh, tremendously well. So, you know, we do have her, you know, uh, going through, she's, you know, uh, you know, in the therapy, you know, she obviously can't give all of the details, um, you know, because she can't explain everything that's going on in her family. Um, but she played it really well. Uh, uh, the scene where, you know, um, uh, Jonathan goes out and, and puts himself in danger. Her reaction to that was very much the reaction that a mother would have, which is that, you know, her first reaction was to hug him, 
you know, incredibly tightly. And then it's not until, you know, the next scene where she's blowing up at him. And again, the anger after seeing your child, you know, put themselves in danger in that way is understandable and even more understandable when we find out about the uh, the miscarriage. But I think it's, it's, it's kind of interesting because when you think about it, you know, what did uh, Jonathan do? Jonathan went and investigated and put himself in danger, the sort of thing that Lois Lane has always done. So in a way, he's becoming more like his mother. And I wonder if on some level, uh, they didn't really make this uh, overt, is that she's worried because she knows that that is a dangerous road to go down. So if she's worried about his curiosity, his willingness to put himself at risk because of that, uh, could be uh, you know even more dangerous uh, to him because of that you know Lois Lane uh, curiosity, or or if he sees himself as you know following her uh, footsteps as the uh, you know the intrepid reporter or something like that. But uh, I thought the uh, the therapy scenes were were really really effective. The uh, the miscarriage you know came out of nowhere, uh, sort of like the consciousness of the Kryptonians. Like where what was that about? I'd have first assumed that you know and and of course the you know baby was going to be named Natalie. Why else would they keep mentioning Natalie from the other Earth's name? Um, I was a little surprised. I kind of assumed that it was, you know, Natalie would have been their first attempt at a child uh, to find out, uh, you know, it happened, you know, 18 months after the twins had been born uh, was really kind of interesting as well. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, really, you know, beautifully played, you know, you, you wouldn't, you know, this is I, I was reading in another recap. Someone had a great line that, you know, this show is less the flash than and more. This is us. You know, it's, it's a mature grown up series in which, you know, for a couple of scenes in the episode, you know, guy in blue ties will fly around and, and do super stuff. But for the most part, it is a family drama. And I think Bitsy Tullock really, really sold those therapy scenes well. The, the actress who played the therapist was very good, too. Yes. Uh, I read she's a Canadian actress. Uh, so she pops up in a lot of Canadian shows. So props to the Canadians. Yes. And great connection there, Professor, in regards to Jonathan, uh, you know, being an investigative reporter, in essence, and sort of following in his mother's foot, footsteps and how maybe she, um, you know, subconsciously is worried about him because of that as well. Uh, Millie, I want to get your take on this as well, but uh, just I want to continue on with this storyline a little bit. So the reason Jonathan puts himself in danger is because uh, Lois and Jonathan do end up investigating... Uh, um, Irons is uh, RV, and uh, we learn that Lois Lane does have permission to 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 be on board. And uh, in doing their research, they um, learn about his Lois Lane as well as his Lois Lane's uh, child, their child together, uh, Natalie. Jonathan, when he sneaks back aboard, he also sees, well, he sees more about Natalie, and uh, there's a really just, it was just a sweet line where he's like, I wish I would have gotten to know you. You seem pretty awesome. And he also sees how his, how, I can't say his mom, how, well, how his mother's alternate Earth version uh, ends up dying um, in that horrific way uh, by seeing an alt version of his father kill her. Um, and, and then... Uh, because uh, he ends up opening um, sort of like a, a secure uh, closet type of thing where there are a whole bunch of weapons. He triggers the AI. He gets locked in. It looks like he's about to die. Superman does show up with just a second left to, um, to save him. Not going to lie, I thought this was going to be a moment where we were going to see a taste of Jonathan getting powers and uh, you know him being protected by himself. It did not happen. Uh, I don't know if it will happen actually after this uh, episode because as we continue on, um, as the professor said, Lois initially is, is incredibly grateful that Jonathan is alive, but then she scolds him in, uh, in, in very succinct terms, but very strong terms. So uh, Later on in the episode, uh, we see Jonathan reaching out to Jordan, and although we don't really see them talk about it because uh, we're at the audition that Sarah's uh, going to be performing at, um, there is a moment where Jordan is like, you know, whatever it is, you know I'm here for you. So it was, it was a nice little moment because we've always seen Jonathan basically say that to Jordan. And so this was Jordan's uh, turn to say it back to his brother. By the end of the episode, we get a really 
tender moment between Lois and uh, Jonathan where she tells him about the miscarriage. She apologizes for the words that she used and uh, she explains why she was, uh, why, why she lashed out, why she was fearful that she has all these unresolved issues. And she also talks about how, you know, we get to be the sort of like extraordinary humans that, you know, are, um, standing beside these super-powered people. She also says that she's going to teach him coping methods and that sort of thing, you know, because she's used to being the human next to the superhuman. So, Millie, I want to get your take on everything uh, that in regards to this storyline between Lois and Jonathan, the revelations that we got about Lois, as well as, uh, I guess the big question that I have after this storyline is... Jonathan and Powers, do you feel like after this storyline, we don't necessarily need Jonathan to have Powers? I, th I think, you know, one of the big questions that I've had, at least, and the professor and I sort of discussed it, especially in the early episodes, does Jonathan need to get Powers? Will he get Powers eventually? Clearly, the storyline right now is about Jordan and his Powers. Do we need to see Jonathan with Powers? What's your take on it after experiencing this storyline, Millie? I think after the storyline, especially because this was really focused about, you know, Lois and Jonathan and how they cope with, you know, being the humans in the family, I feel like he doesn't need powers. And to spend a whole episode going through this, and I think that's going to be kind of their connection as mother and son moving forward, it would be, I feel like it would be a little backwards to give him powers after they've gone at that. Mm -hmm. Although, speaking which kind of when I had rewatched the pilot not too long ago, I thought there was a scene where they like definitely implied that Jonathan would have powers thinking he's like throwing the football. So I've always been confused. I'm wondering if maybe there are underlying powers still. Um, but I think in, with everything that's going on, it may be down the road after we do all of that. It would make sense. But at this moment, I think it would make most sense to see how this dynamic kind of changes, like how he can be a supportive brother to Jordan, support him, but also how Jordan, when we see that, can be supportive and understand that, like, he has these powers, but it's not as easy, you know, being family and having a loved one that has these powers and, and being more uh, reasonable and not just an angsty teen. And understanding that his brother also has feelings and emotions and is struggling and it can't just all be about him. So I think there's a lot of story potential there and they really don't need to squeeze out another person with powers. Plus Lois would be kind of outbalanced, like a three to one, and that's never fun. So that's kind of how I feel on, on Jonathan and Powers. I think they've, they've done really well so far. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um... You know, it does give Lois someone, it gives Jonathan someone to confide in, and Lois as well. Um, I, I do remember that scene, Millie. You know, even though, you know, it's been weeks since I've seen the first episode and we had that long break to fit in Supergirl, I do remember that scene in the pilot with the football. And uh, it makes me, it makes me actually believe that Jonathan will get powers at some point, um, but after this episode, I don't know if I really want that to happen just because I really enjoyed the Lois and, uh, Jonathan uh, dynamic. And, and I've got to say as mature as, well, especially Jonathan, no offense, Jordan, as mature as Jonathan has been throughout like all of these episodes this season, this was really the episode that reminded me he's just a kid, you know, because of, like, what he did, going behind his mom's back, and, you know, I completely understood the rationale of, like, why he wanted, why he did what he, why he did what, what he did to sort of help, but it was still a very sort of, like, young person thing to do, and uh, his reaction was that of, of a kid, you know, of a teen, and um, they, they've painted him as incredibly mature that, you know, I think you can forget that he's still just a kid, but this episode, uh, you know, at least it reminded me, I was like, oh god, he's still, he's still so innocent in, in a way. Professor, do you have anything to add in regards to Jonathan and Powers? Yeah, I, I don't think he needs them. I, I think it would be a bit of a cliche if he had sort of the, the superpowered twins. I think it's much more interesting uh, to have that, especially as we see in this episode, you know, 
uh, I think it would undercut a bit of what they were saying uh, with Lois, you know, with, with Lois saying that, you know, basically, you know, we have a role to, to play as well. Uh, to then suddenly have him get powers, uh, as Millie said, it would be like three on one uh, against Lois. I, th- I think it's more interesting if he doesn't or, you know, maybe he gets him temporarily or some sort of technological assist to allow him to help out. Um, I think it, it gives him an interesting way to play up the, uh, you know, uh, what I think is, you know, one of the, you know, uh, uh, undertold stories of, of, you know, the Superman Lois dynamic, which is, you know, the powerlessness that Lois must feel watching, you know, uh, her husband or, you know, Clark, even before they were married, uh, go off and risk themselves. And I think it's, it's much more interesting to, to play it like this and to give you that, uh, that parallel. And as I say, it does allow, uh, you know, even as uh, as Jordan is getting closer to his dad because they share the powers and stuff like that, it makes more sense for uh, for Jonathan to get closer to his mother, whether that means, you know, following in her footsteps or just having her curiosity. Uh, I don't think it really matters, but I think that, you know, they do have that connection, which I think is great. And uh, one, you know, little line in there, you know, you mentioned the scene where uh, where Jonathan shows up and, you know, uh, finds Jordan um, at the uh, the tryouts. And where uh, Jonathan basically says to me, you're kind of the only guy I've got to talk to here, which is, you know, interesting because, you know, Jordan or Jonathan has come from, you know, he was the big man on campus in Metropolis. He was, you know, the star quarterback. He had all these friends and Jordan was the outsider. And here it seems that, you know, Jordan has done a better job of, you know, making connections and making friends uh, than Jonathan has. And it's just, you know, a little sort of subtly reinforcing that it's not just that Jonathan is feeling alienated because his brother's developing superpowers and he isn't. It's that, you know, A, he doesn't have a lot of friends and B, he's in a very unusual situation. He's not accustomed to being there. So it's, it's, it's tougher for that's true. But it was also because his brother was using his superpowers to be the big man on campus with the football team, which, as of this episode, it looks like they're putting the whole football thing to rest, which I'm glad, because I felt like it was completely unfair that Jordan was using his powers to be, like, you know, Super Bowl champion. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that they both retired. Well, the three of them, actually, because Clark is no longer going to be the assistant football coach. I'm glad that whole thing is is over. It didn't seem fair to me. Uh, Millie, uh, before we move on, did you have anything to add uh, in regards to anything that has been discussed about uh, Jonathan or, or Lois? I was surprised, and I wonder if it's going to come back up, that they did, like, Jonathan saw the footage of a Superman killing a Lois. Because it has to be traumatizing as a kid. And I wonder if mm-hmm. like, that puts in the back of my mind and also puts that doubt in terms of like he knows the stories of Superman and, and what they can do, but he sees it, how it can be for bad. So I wonder if that kind of plants a seed in his mind, especially as we see they're kind of hinting at the idea that Clark has anger problems sometimes. And you got, you know, John Henry Irons always talking about Kryptonians are going to take over and things like that. So I, I'm curious that they let him like, you know, that this choice was he saw that. And I wonder how that's going to feel it um, on there. And I do love the, the, heart-to-heart that he had with Lois. I think that would be, um, I felt, felt like it was a little bit rushed, but uh, I uh, overall thought it was really good. I was like, man, it's, again, it's a family show. It got me in the emotions. It got me in the feels. And I like how it just their story was front and center. And it's like Clark was supporting characters. So it was Jordan. They were kind of just there to help, but really it was like their show. So it was really well done, kind of main storyline. You know, you make a good point with the footage and Jonathan. I don't think they're going to go the route of him not trusting his father and that sort of thing. Like, I don't think the footage is going to sour him to that because it seemed like he, like, got a really good grasp of the multiverse with just that, you know, those two or three lines that Lois uh, gave about the multiverse. So I think he understands this is an alternate Earth's Superman uh, this, that, or the other, but he didn't reveal that he saw that in this episode. So I do think we will get a payoff of that at some point where he's going to tell, you know, his mom or his dad, his brother. I don't know. He's going to tell one of them, if if not maybe all of them, that he saw this footage. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what kind of conversation that's going to be or how it's going to come out, but I, I, I just hope that it isn't that, you know, I don't trust you, Dad, because, you know, this other Earth killed Mom, you know? We'll have to wait and see. Stay tuned, as I like to say. Okay, so let's talk about Steel. We got a lot of Steel in this episode, 
And in at the start of this episode, we pick up pretty much exactly where it was teased at the end of the last episode. At the, at the end of the last episode, it was Superman basically saying, you know, I want my first crack at him. I want to ask him questions. And we see Superman showing up. And he asks him a whole bunch of questions, and uh, we we don't really get Mr. Irons get, like giving up a whole lot of answers, but we do get an interesting flashback. I don't know what the flashback was for, though. Like, I don't know. It, it was that the flashback where Steel travels to uh, like. Earth Prime? I, I don't know, but it was a very intense situation where he's on a ship and bad Superman is trying to get into the ship and try to take him down, but he just keeps on sort of driving into this red light. I, I, I don't know what that was. Uh, Professor, what did you think of um, Superman and Steel's first interaction together, and what did you think of that flashback? Where do you think that flashback took place. Do you think that was right before he uh, jumped the multiverse? I think it has to be, which is interesting because I sort of assumed this was a crisis once that, you know, and maybe, you know, it is, you know, the, the red glow of, of crisis. And that was just like a, a little subtle callback to that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think it, it, it's obvious, you know, that is how he came across, but you know, they didn't actually show us anything about that. Uh, like they didn't explain it. They didn't, you know, show a portal or anything like that. They just showed Superman looking towards the, uh, the red. Uh, could that mean that, you know, evil Superman, you know, held onto the outside and came across too? probably not because I think we'd have found out by now. Um, it, it was interesting. Um, it, I, I feel a little bit, you know, um, ripped off because, you know, they, they sort of had, you know, uh, you know, uh, the stranger, uh, you know, John Henry Irons, as we now know, or, uh, you know, Captain Luther, as we thought for the longest time, uh, you know, we got him, uh, you know, and then, you know, in the first episode for the reveal, and then we got him a little bit, you know, later on, uh, once we got him revealed in the last episode, you know, and now it seems like he's going to be gone for a while. It feels like, you know, they could have spent a little more time with this character. Uh, it, it did feel a little rushed that, uh, you know, the way they dealt with him, but I did like his scene with, uh, uh, with Clark, um, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, Clark basically, you know, say, you know, and Clark having the, the knowledge base to understand, you know, and, and also getting the information from Lois. Um, once again, Clark's getting the, these great little lines, like, you know, when Lois is talking about, you know, uh, you know, the, the weirdness of it all, and he's commenting on that, or after Lois blows up, uh, he says, are you okay? And she you know, says yes and continues bluffing and says, okay, I'll put that down as a no. Um, you know, Clark's getting these, these great little lines, uh, you know, and really allowing, you know, Lois to, uh, to run with things. Um, but yeah, I, I just you feel a little cheated uh, on the, uh, the John Henry Irons. I'm sure he'll be back. Obviously, he'll be back. But it just feels like they, they wrapped him up a little too quickly. Okay, I have opinions on that But once we get there. But uh, I, I feel you, Professor. Uh, Millie, I want to get your take on the general in this episode. So Sam Lane has uh, two really big scenes in this episode. Number one is his interrogation of uh, Irons. And um, basically, the, the only bit of information that he gets out of him is how uh, Lane died on his Earth, as well as Irons uh, basically telling him, you know, if you're at all like the man that I know, you know, because um, Lane was, like, threatening him with, like, oh, I got somebody out there, he's got all these doodads that's going to torture you, and this, that, and the other, and he's like, if you're anything like the Lane that I know, you know, you don't torture prisoners, and this, that, or the other. And then later on, throughout the episode, we learn that... Um, that Lane has been creating kryptonite weapons as sort of a contingency plan if uh, Superman uh, ever goes bad. Um, Superman did not know this. He finds out in the roughest way possible in this episode by getting a whole bunch of those doodads being tested out on him. And uh, at the end of the episode, we, also, we see that... Um, that the uh, room in which these kryptonite weapons are being housed is the 7734. It's the whole thing that um, at the time when he was Captain Luther, you know, he provided that to Lane. So there's that connection. Um, uh, basically, uh, Superman at the end tells him, you know, I've, 
I trusted you, you know, even though if you were doing this, you should have told me, you know, there's, there's a thing called trust. And uh, he's like, I don't know, you know, how, how soon this trust can basically be, be mended. What'd you think of the general this episode, uh, Millie? I was already a little bit like suspicious of him because he's a general. Uh, <laughs> okay. But, listen, DOD is like, that's your relationship. I don't know. You just can't trust them. <laughs> but well, the fact that go. he is, has a contingency plan and developing, like that was a, a large size lab. Um, I mean, I get it. You want to be proactive and also be safe, but he, he is up to something. Maybe it's not like he nefarious against Superman, but it is interesting. All his actions, it's questionable. And I don't know if he's going to go up against Superman or maybe he's, he's anticipating this kryptonite or, or this uh, Kryptonian army, but he just seems very suspicious. And, um, and obviously it prevents or provides an issue for Superman and Lois because of the relationship. So I think uh, they're definitely setting up for some good family drama. Yes. The family drama is definitely going to be hella interesting. What I thought was really intriguing about the storyline is i mean it does make sense you know if superman were to be mind controlled by whatever whatever or something you know you you would want to have something in place to at least neutralize the threat not to take out the threat but to at least neutralize the threat a bit uh, so it makes sense. I think the problem here was that the general kept it secret. So secrecy and secrets, as we know, watching these C- CW shows, they're bad things. And had he been a little bit more open about it with Clark, I think Clark would have understood. Um, but because he did it in secret, and it wasn't just like one thing, it's like many things so it it makes it um hella nefarious looking and and the fact that he also created synthetic kryptonite as well which is a thing over on supergirl even though they're not addressing supergirl at all um you know that's hella interesting as well Uh, stay tuned to see what the hell is going to be going down with the general but moving right along uh so um so they, they don't end up torturing Irons, uh, although one of the soldiers is hella interested in torturing him and, and tries to um, take Irons away from the soldier that's taken him to his cell when the soldier turns out to be one of Edge's uh, ex-Kryptonite-juiced goons. He ends up killing the torture-happy soldier, and um, ends up taking irons to uh, the kryptonite um, armory for a reason. Uh, to well, irons end up ends up um, pressing uh, one of those like emergency buttons to you know alert the people, and it's a showdown between this ex-kryptonite uh, juiced soldier and uh, Superman. At the end of it, I mean, because Superman does, even though he's um, in, not injured, but he's affected by the, the kryptonite, uh, and then the old other soldier gets affected by the kryptonite, uh, Irons ends up uh, killing the soldier after the soldier does end up, you know, giving a little bit of information of him being possessed as a Kryptonian, that sort of thing. And then Irons holds a kryptonite spear, to Superman and is ready to kill him. Earlier in the episode, he requested uh, to speak to Lois and that she's the only person that uh, he will speak to. Uh, Lois is there because she's doing the therapy thing and she ends up takno-jitsuing him down and basically tells him, you know, that was your Earth. You're on this one here. Superman's a hero. You know, you don't want to kill a hero, do, do you? Because what would that make you? Um, she ends up sort of reasoning with him because he does put the spear down and they do end up letting him go and uh, we do see him sort of drive off into um, the sunset but um, it, it, it is you know after basically Lois tells him you know we would 
like your help. You know, you have dealt with this, and if Edge is creating an army, you know, you're the expert, basically. And he, although he says he, he needs a little bit of time to sort of adjust to the new reality, especially to adjust the idea of working with Superman. Okay, so I've already got the professor's take a little bit on on um, Irons. So, Millie, I want to ask you first. What did you think of Irons throughout the entire episode? What did you think of um, of Lois and his interaction, both at the DOD as well as outside of the Kent farm? Um, yeah, what did you think of them? What did you think of Irons and uh, and Lois and Irons? I think for some reason I was supposed to go like super, and I was a very dramatic kick. Uh, but I like how they made it like very realistic, and he like he understood like this isn't his Lois, and there wasn't any of this like what is these multiverse kind of thing. Um, and and but at the same time, even though he understands that he was still able to be you know persuaded uh, by her, she has a way with words in that sense. That it made sense though, because it's like it is still hard to kind of disconnect that. Um, I'm with the professor where I was sad i feel like there's a lot more potential and maybe they have something up their sleeve but to see him drive off i was like oh that's it i thought it was gonna be more explosive you have this big reveal and and maybe it was more the explosive side we saw on lois and it really wasn't her going to be exploding at john henry i actually thought when she was doing the therapy session was who she got angry at um but then when i got they went more into i'm like okay that doesn't really make sense um but i thought there would have been more interaction i felt like there was that again. I maybe they're building up for his return because I definitely think he's going to come back and help save the day at the end. Um, so I think in terms of kind of them and him being also being set free. I think John to kind of make a point like this guy almost killed Superman and he's just kind of released. Um, so I wonder if if that plays into like that if he's going to go off and do something or if they are suspicious of him I and mean, he's not suspicious anymore but i still just think that it was weird how he did just ride off to the sunset i will co-sign with i guess both of yours qualm about the episode that uh you know he rode off into the sunset i, I do agree that i i don't like that based off of where the character is and in his headspace i kind of understand it i mean even by the end of the episode he changes the ai you know delete the Captain Luther log, do a new one for John Henry Irons, and then he even turns it off because, you know, he just wants to drive just to, in my interpretation, to process everything that's happened and and this new offer that he's been given. But I would guess he would, will be gone maybe for an episode, maybe two. Like, I don't think he's going to be gone for like multiple episodes, like maybe one or two, and then he'll be back. Um, I do think they are going to go the route that I was hoping for, and that's have him be an, be an ally to Superman. Uh, maybe a reluctant ally in the beginning, but I, I think he, at least I hope, he, he gains a respect for Superman and that sort of thing. I was There was a part of me that was thinking that they were going to show him that Lois is married to Superman on this Earth. And that's why... You know, Lois 100% believes that Superman, you know, won't go the evil route. I think that could have been a really good selling point for Irons. Uh, Maybe that's what they will do when he returns. Part of me thinks that maybe his little solo adventure will be that he'll end up finding his daughter, Natalie, who somehow survived the... uh, explosion, chrysequence, or whatever, of, of his Earth. Um, I, I kind of feel like the amount of times that they've said Natalie in this episode, and the fact that there is like a familial connection to why that name was chosen, and the fact that we don't know, we didn't see her death, so we don't know if she's dead, I, and just the drama of it, I feel like she has to be out there. Irons will find her. Maybe maybe Natalie will be, you know, someone that'll get through to to her father or something. I don't know. But I, I think Natalie is out there. 100%. 100%. Professor, your take on Irons, Lois, is Natalie out there? Uh, well, from a logic point of view, no, she can't be because... 
uh, you know, John Irons and Lois never married on this world. And unless she found another way to go through a mysterious red portal or something like that. But of course, anything is possible. It's a CW verse show. Um, but yeah, just, you know, uh, much as I, I enjoyed Irons, I, I don't think he'll be back anytime soon. I think it'll be at least four or five episodes. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, he has to have some time on his own to process. As you said, I like, uh, you know, as, as Millie referred to the fact that there was sort of the, the mature way of dealing with it, which was, you know, um, you know, uh, you're not my wife, you just look like her. And, you know, that was the sort of, you know, grown up way to deal with this, uh, which again, yeah, I've said many times before, I like the fact that, you know, that uh, Superman and Lois does manage to take these more mature, uh, elements that. Part of the rush, though, uh, was, you know, if you look at uh, John Irons in the uh, the last episode, uh, you know, he was so hell bent on uh, killing Superman. Superman really didn't do enough. And, and even, you know, Lois saying, you know, if you kill a hero, what does that make you? I didn't think they gave him enough. You know, he needed to have more time to process the fact that Superman is a hero, um, you know, because the, the John Henry Irons that we saw last episode would not have hesitated to shove that spear through his chest, wouldn't have stopped to talk, wouldn't have stopped, even though there were guns pointed at him, his whole purpose was killing Kal-El. Um, so I think they rushed that a little bit. Um, uh, as you said, you know, they could have, you know, played on the, but I'm married to him. Uh, but, you know, sharing that information with anyone outside the family, especially someone who's, you know, from another world, uh, is a little weird. And the other thing that's kind of rushed about it is the fact that, OK, from the point of view of the military, you've got someone who's obviously a genius engineer and you've got an anti-Superman project. Are you going to let that guy get away? Probably not. Uh, also, he's from another world and he's just allowed to wander away. Um, now, I guess they don't have any sort of, you know, established protocol for dealing with that. Uh, but he did try to kill Superman and he, again, just gets to drive away. Uh, it just felt a little rushed, like they, they were so concerned to get to that, you know, driving off into the sunset moment that I do wonder whether, um, you know, it, it was just a little rushed. I think if they'd spent, you know, more time, if, if Superman had done something, you know, he did, you know, you know, sort of, you know, uh, push uh, uh, irons to save himself. Uh, you know, so there's a little bit of that, but I think, you know, we need a more sense of, of, uh, of John Henry realizing that Superman is a good guy in order to pay off his decision not to kill him. Okay. I don't disagree with you on that. I, I don't disagree with you on that. Um, but I didn't mind the end, although your nitpicking of it does make me question some things, but, um, I do like that he is driving off to sort of really, uh, at least, you know, wrap his brain around a partnership with Superman and, uh, you know, and that sort of thing. Because I do want to see a partnership between these two characters. In the comics, from what I've read, you know, he is like a, a true blue hero. And so I want to see Steel become that on on this show. Um, I, I don't see him as a villain. Like, I didn't even see him as a villain you know, throughout the first few episodes because they they were, you know, painting him with a sympathetic brush that, you know, his world had an evil Superman. So all of his um, his motivation was completely understandable, even though we know our Superman, because we're all on Earth Prime, right? You know, our Superman is kind and good and truth, justice, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but but I, I understood his headspace, so uh, he was more so, in my opinion, an antagonist versus Morgan Edge, who seems to be just a straight-out villain. What's interesting is that the DoD now knows that Morgan Edge is a villain, and that Morgan Edge is collecting uh, powered people for whatever purposes, so uh, it, it's nice to know that Morgan Edge is now on uh, Lane's uh, target list. We'll see what happens when it comes to that. So, uh, was there anything that I missed? A teeny tiny little moment? Anything that either of you would like to chat about before we head into the MVP? All right, we covered it all. Uh, so, uh, let's get into it. The MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So, choose wisely. Professor, your MVP and why. Oh, I almost regret going first because, you know, I'm going to take the obvious choice. Bitsy Tullock just, you know, acted the hell out of this episode. Uh, you know, the the scene with, with John, both of her scenes with Jonathan, the one where she blew up and the one where they reconciled, uh, her scenes with the therapist, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, incredibly emotional. And, you know, I mentioned before that, you know, Bitsy Tullock is moving up in my uh, my rankings of uh 
of uh, a favorite Lois Lanes, and she's, you know, dangerous and close number one. And that means she's knocked off two Canadian actresses, which is pretty impressive. Well, there you go. I will say episodes like these are incredibly heartbreaking because I know that the Primetime Emmy Awards, they completely overlook, for the most part, genre programming. It's a shame because Bitsy, I think, would have earned a nomination. Um, it's, it's so sad that there isn't like a genre Emmy Awards, you know, even if it's not in, in the main show. But I think they should add categories for genre programming because uh, series like this, superhero shows, horror series, uh, um, sci-fi, etc., don't really get any love from the Emmys. They rarely do. I mean, sometimes a Game of Thrones or something will sneak in, but for the most part, uh, shows like this are, are the completely overlooked, and it's a shame because there are gems of performances, much like uh, this one with Lois in, in this episode. Uh, Millie, your MVP and why? I think I'll have to go with maybe the second obvious choice, Listen, in my opinion, um, Jonathan. Uh, you know, his story kind of paralleled uh, Lois's, and he did such a good job kind of conveying all the emotions. And as you mentioned, like, he's just a kid, and he's really going through, and we get to see that sometimes he makes dumb mistakes, um, and he learns from it, and he's really just trying to help his family, but he gets the chance to be a little bit of a rebel and go into the creeper mobile and things like that. So I thought it was just a great performance. And then, you know, the resolution with Lois was really great. So overall, it was just another surprisingly like heartfelt performance. I wasn't expecting that from like the twins. Uh, also, uh, I forgot to mention this in the, uh, you know, things we didn't mention. The fact that when Jonathan goes into the RV, he calls a creeper mobile and Lois goes, I know exactly. Right. He uses exactly the same word as her. I thought it was great. A uh, little callback. Yes, as if they were mother and child. Yes, I I love that moment as well. All right, uh, both fantastic choices. Uh, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna give it to Wole Parks, Mr. Irons. Um, I completely hear where everyone is saying, you know, that maybe the storyline felt rushed, but I thought the performance was really good. Um, I thought Willie Parks did a fantastic job from beginning to end. Um, I'm really enjoying his character. That's why I'm, I'm hoping that his, uh, you know, solo adventure in the RV doesn't last too long because I really want to see him mixing it up with our characters because he's been fantastic from the beginning. So now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 red capes? The point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the Fortress of Solitude. Millie Wood, you're up to bat. After last week, I was like thoroughly impressed. Like, oh, how are they going like, to kind of follow it up? And this definitely kept the momentum that we had going last week. It was very enjoyable. Um, I think we got to focus on more of Lois' story and Jonathan's story, which is great because it's like we don't just have to focus on the capes. Um, and there's a lot of earned character moments that really made sense. Um, and it's definitely rewatchable. And there's a lot of little bits and really just setting up forward uh, for even more of the storyline. So I'll have to give it 9.3 red capes. Starting off strong with the 9.3. Professor, what about you? How would you rate this episode? I'm going to go a little higher. I'm going to give it a 9.5. Uh, you know, as I was watching it, you know, for most of the episode, especially the Bitsy Tulloch bits, I was thinking, well, this is going to be an archived episode. But as I said, you know, the way they they just put a bow on the uh, the the iron storyline so quickly, let him go and drive off to the uh, into the sunset uh, just felt, you know, it wasn't earned. You know, we didn't get the uh, the character growth, the uh, the realization of of why he didn't uh, do the stab. So for me, that took it down a little bit. But everything else about it, I thought was great. All right. Well, I'm going all the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm archiving it. And it really is because of Bitsy Tulloch. Like, I enjoyed the episode as a whole. Like, the qualms that both of you have about it. I, I hear it. I receive it. Uh, but they, they weren't that big of a deal for me to knock it. Uh, but Bitsy Tulloch was just fantastic. I mean, point blank and the period. Uh, I was in my feels at a certain point in the episode because she was, you know, she was bringing the damn emotion. She was the star. She was the headliner of this episode. 
And uh, and second on that, uh, it, you know, it's basically the order of the MVPs. Jonathan was outstanding in this episode as well. Uh, two incredibly strong performances that, for me, is 100% archive worthy. And, and as Millie said, it's a very rewatchable episode as well. So on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Smallville Gazette. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Smallville Gazette and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with the professor. Good night, everyone. And Millie Wood. Good night, listeners. And if you want to follow along with me, I'm on Twitter as at the Asian Nerd. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of the Smallville Gazette every Thursday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio archives. Good night. Mm-hmm.